You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ascp.com/podcasts. ASCP: Empowering Pharmacists, Transforming Aging. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio. I am Dr. Jaron Stout. We are recording live today at ASCP 2021 conference in San Diego. Today, I am here sitting with Dr. Chanel Whitaker and Dr. Charmaine Rochester. They presented the educational session titled, Does One Size Fit All? It's a patient-centered management of older adults with chronic kidney disease, which uh, is always, a, a for me, a very good point of interest. So I'm glad to have you guys on the show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So you began the presentation by looking at clinical data of the prevalence of chronic kidney disease among Medicare beneficiaries <laughs> aged over this age of 65. What were some of the things that you guys noticed? Well, when I looked at this data and really pulled this, this was from the renal data set that's collected every uh, so many years to look at the prevalence of chronic kidney disease in different populations. So I really zoomed in on older adults to really understand um, how much of a problem is it with older adults. So I, what I found was um, when in the presentation, I talked about overall, there's about a 15% prevalence in older adults in general. But I think the more important point there was that older adults with comorbid cardiovascular conditions, such as diabetes and hypertension, have a significantly higher risk of developing chronic kidney disease. So it went from like 15% to 30% if someone also had uh, diabetes. And these are the patients that we work with every day. So sometimes you might think as a geriatric pharmacist, you know, I really don't need to get involved in that. But, you know, these are many of the patients that we serve. So it is certainly something to be concerned about as a geriatric pharmacist to be aware of the patients that you have that might be at risk of developing chronic kidney disease. Very good. And you know, it's interesting because there are several disease states that kind of branch from that mm -hmm. very root. Mm -hmm. I think Alzheimer's is, you know, yeah. somewhat linked to it, as well as glaucoma, obviously. Mm -hmm. No, well, not glaucoma, but blindness. Mm -hmm. There's several, you know, end organ damage that occurs from That's diabetes right. as well as hypertension. Mm -hmm. So, great. Can you elaborate on the social determinants that have possibly led to the prevalence of chronic kidney disease? Yes, I can. I think... The reason that I brought up the social determinants of health is because often when we teach disease states, it is very focused in on the pathophysiology, underlying etiology, and we don't consider non-biological causes or things that contribute to being at risk for developing these conditions and also the risk of worse health outcomes because mm -hmm. of social determinants of health. Right. So there are older adults for various reasons that are at high risk of having more structural vulnerability. And what that means is there are at higher risk of having more of the burden of, of more of the negative social determinants. So this could be living in a community that is poorly resourced I mean, there's some of the older adults that we serve where there is no supermarket within miles of their home. And if they don't have a, a reliable a car for transportation and if the bus system is unreliable, our mobility system that people who have disabilities and older adults have access to, sometimes they take three hours to come and pick up patients. So it is difficult, you know, to have access to things like food, access to things like reliable transportation. And this has a significant impact 
on health outcomes. So I think as pharmacists, as a healthcare system, we have to educate ourselves more and become more aware of how these structural determinants of health have a huge impact on health outcomes, probably even more so than someone's health behavior. Because right. the determinants determine what is the key options that you have to right. choose food and different things like that. So that's why I thought it was important to cover that. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, even as just a general consumer in an urban population, mm -hmm. we tend to shop by convenience and mm -hmm. convenient food is not always healthy. So if you're in an area where it's very remote and you have less food available, it's right. even more, Absolutely. you're probably shopping even more for convenience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that, that that's very interesting. Very good. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And the, the rural population, I'm glad that you brought that up, is during the pandemic, right, we saw these huge disparities and just them being able to access care. Right. right? We, we take the internet and Wi-Fi for granted, but many older adults in these rural communities simply did not have access. So it's like, well, we can get you online to talk to your doctor, but you know, wow. they don't have access to those things. So there are uh, really important disparities societally that impact our older adults that I think uh, we have to become more aware of and educated about how can we influence those positively so that this doesn't negatively impact the outcomes of their health. Very good. So one of the things that was interesting in your presentation is that you have a new equation that is being recommended to assess renal function. And what are your thoughts on this? I have a lot of thoughts on that, so I'm gonna keep it keep it brief. <laughs> Don't worry about brief, we, we got time here. Get my pedestal and climb <laughs> on up. But So there has been a lot of debate in the literature over, since probably since this equation was developed. So there is a Cockcroft-Galt equation that we are very familiar with as pharmacists, and that right. was developed back in the 70s. And really not very representative of older adults with structural changes in renal function. So older well adults were really not represented there either. Right. But particularly with the newer equation, particularly the MDRD equation and the CKD-EPI equations that were developed specifically for the purpose of staging chronic kidney disease for patients that have had a decline in renal function, there was a race modifier added to that equation when it was developed because there was this idea, and I emphasize the word idea, that people that identify as Black or African Americans have a different rate of creatinine metabolism, right? So they added a modifier where their estimated GFR was higher than all other adults. And what that does is it creates inequities, right? And this is what I'm interpreting from the literature. So is that it creates inequities in, in that when an African-American gets a, a, their renal function estimated versus another a older adult, their creatinine, for example, if you're a stage three and your renal function is in the 40s, an African-American and another person would get it done and maybe theirs would be calculated as a stage four. This makes a difference in when you're eligible for things such as being referred to a nephrologist. It makes a difference with being referred for transplant. So very often these patients may not be referred in a timely manner and therefore they may progress more quickly to end-stage renal disease and they might, may not be eligible for transplant by the time they get referred. So it really does make a difference in, in health outcomes and it, it was simply inequitable. And the National Kidney Foundation made a very strong statement that this is inequitable, right? And and we need to use equations that are fair and free of bias and more inclusive. So they made the decision to recommend discontinuing use of all equations that have race modifiers 
And there was an equation that came out. It was September 23rd, right before we submitted this program, uh, the final edits, and they developed, edited the CKD epi equation to remove that race modifier. No kidding. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yes. All right. So for pharmacists that are working with chronic disease patients, what are three steps that can help delay the progression of chronic kidney disease? So I think more generally, especially if you're not in a nephrology clinic, things that geriatric pharmacists can do, I always see it as a defensive and offensive strategy. So our offensive strategy is if patients are eligible and they can tolerate it, they should be on renin-angiotensin system inhibitors, especially if they have um, higher blood pressure or have evidence of uh, kidney damage, particularly high levels of microalbuminuria in their urine, we should make every attempt to have these patients on renin-angiotensin system inhibitors if they can tolerate it. Also, if the patient has diabetes, and, and now the data is coming out that even if they do not have diabetes, but they have chronic kidney disease, Older adults may be eligible for SGLT2 inhibitors as well. So that is one offensive strategy to help delay progression to end-stage kidney disease. And again, not all older adults will be candidates. We have to consider what their health status is. If they are frail, limited life expectancy, we may not see that the risk may outweigh the benefit. So we really do, I think that's a good role for pharmacists to determine if a person is an eligible candidate. Now, our defensive strategies that I see are medication safety, right? Avoiding potentially inappropriate nephrotoxic medications in older adults. And we, we're all over that <laughs> as right. geriatric pharmacists. Yeah. So continuing to do what they, what they do best is, I, you know, evaluating the medication regimen for inappropriate medications, but again, specifically looking for potentially nephrotoxic agents that can accelerate progression if used inappropriately. Some medications that I can think of are NSAIDs. You know, that is a, a medication that we see all the time and uh, being used in, in patients because, you know, it's available over the counter. It works for arthritis pain, right? Something that we'll see very often mm -hmm. as geriatric pharmacists. So educating the patients, but also being aware and asking, you know, if the patients are taking those and thinking about other strategies to manage pain. So that's one really important and very common example of a way that we can address delaying progression through medication safety. Other examples as well, but that's a pretty common right. one. Well, I have kind of a follow-up question to the last, because you brought up the race modifiers. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, and if you don't know the answer, you don't, you don't have to, you just you tell me you don't know, it's totally fine. So when switching African-Americans off of an ACE inhibitor because they suffer more from volume hypertension, and it's recommended to use more calcium channel blockers and diuretics instead of the first-line ACE inhibitor. But at the same time, we want to mitigate risk factors of chronic kidney disease, right. which was ACE inhibitors are linked to, right? Mm -hmm. So... Where do we find that balance between use the ACE inhibitor as a preventive and use the amlodipine or other calcium channel blockers as the first line? You know, that is another area that we have to really critically think about. Agreed, yeah. We have to think <clears throat> about that critically. Is this evidence based on comparing first-line agents mm -hmm. and these calcium channel blockers to see if this does delay progression? So when I'm thinking about ideal agents delaying progression, of renal outcomes delaying progression of risk of cardiovascular outcomes. 
And is volume more important than that? It, to me, it is not. And not to, well it's just me, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not more important. So when we have these drugs that are designated by race, that is problematic. Okay. How have these studies been done? If you have a collection of you know, African-Americans or other groups of people and you just use this drug and it worked, well, yes, it worked. But does it work better? Is it better than a first-line agent that has been shown to delay progression that has been shown to reduce risk of cardiovascular outcomes. And I know for sure that the ASP trial that included African American, primarily African Americans, they were on ACE inhibitors and it did delay progression of renal outcomes. So this is again something where it is a clinical policy that really impacts, you know, our many Americans across the nation that really has to be re-examined uh, to see if this is still appropriate to be recommending because they might be missing out on important drug therapy that can improve morbidity and mortality. I love that insight. I'm really glad I asked that question. That was <laughs> Thank great. You. Thank you. So it, it is kind of a, a catch-22 to treat risk factors of, of chronic kidney disease like diabetes and hypertension. And you have to prescribe medications, but these can also become toxic to the kidney and cause more decline. So how can we as pharmacists kind of balance the comorbidities? Any insight on that? It's kind of a tricky question. It is. It is a challenge, right? And I think that's why it's important that geriatric pharmacists are on the team. So most medications, I would say, even the agents that are used to delay progression, they do have lots of benefits, but there are also risks of adverse effects that are associated with them. So I think one of the biggest things to balance that is to make sure that, one, you have an appropriate candidate. And... Two, that we're monitoring very closely. I tell my patients very often, when I start you on this drug, we are going to be best friends, at least for the next few months, because I need to monitor your renal function. You need to come back. I need to make sure you're not symptomatic, that your Mm -hmm. blood pressure is appropriate. It's not becoming too low. So I think we, in addition to recommending appropriate agents, we also need to accept that responsibility and also letting the patient know that you also have a responsibility as well if we're going to use this medication. So I think The biggest way to kind of mitigate negative outcomes is monitoring and selecting the best candidate for use of these medications. But all drugs, you know, even the ones that have great outcomes, they are not benign and they do have important adverse effects that we need to monitor closely to prevent negative outcomes. So I don't know if that answers your question completely. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I feel like you know, I'm just kind of bouncing these questions off you and you're, you're providing so much great information. So I hope I'm not leaving you out over there. <laughs> all right. So doing great. So if one size does not fit all, is there any other any other additional information you guys would give to help pharmacists individualize treatment so it's more appropriate for chronic kidney disease patients? For instance, you just touched on the nephrotoxic topic, but what are some agents that we should be like very aware of to avoid in those situations? I try to put them more in because every older is going to be on slightly different, slightly different regimen. So I have my buckets of medications that I'm looking for in terms of one nephrotoxicity and that would include drugs that could increase the risk of acute kidney injury. And that can be maybe in several different classes of medication. So sometimes it's a matter of looking up the agent to see if the patient might be at risk because the drug needs to be adjusted based on renal function, right? So sometimes it's a matter of 
looking up the agent, especially if you're not familiar with it. So, you know, making sure the drug is adjusted appropriately. There are several classes of agents that, such as agents like diuretics, even agents like renangiotensin system inhibitors, SGLT2 inhibitors, some of these agents need to be held temporarily in patients that are at risk of um, acute kidney injury related to dehydration or hospitalization. So we might want to hold those agents. So there's no specific you know, drug I can say, know, the, right. know this list, but rather if a patient is having an acute incident of you know, illness, that would be a reason to really examine the medication regimen to see if there's anything that needs to be held. Another you know, bucket of medications I think of are agents that can have increased risk of toxicity as renal function declines. Yes. So, and Dr. Rochester can speak to this, particularly with the diabetes medications, because I'm thinking there's several in this area that we have to think about, and she mm-hmm. certainly has yeah. lots more experience with that. So um, I don't know if you could you know, speak to that part. I think that one's a good one for diabetes, for sure. Yeah, most definitely. Something as simple as insulin. Mm-hmm. We do have to decrease the insulin dosage as renal function declines. Otherwise, mm-hmm. patients do go into hypoglycemia. So definitely need to evaluate them. In addition, their A1C may be looking excellent as their renal function declines, mm-hmm. but it really is not a perfect example. And that is because of the um, red blood cells are made, you know, function through the kidneys. Mm-hmm. So once there's a defect in the kidneys, the A1C levels falsely look low. Mm. So we do have to evaluate. We may be thinking the patient suddenly got a goal, but really it's a kidney function. Mm. That, so we do have to monitor. That's so interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's something I never considered because that is one of the warning aspects of the use of Dapsone because it decreases yes. blood cell life. Correct. Duration. And so the A1C looks falsely low. Correct. And so you rely more on fasting glucose. Right. I never thought of that with chronic kidney disease. I'm yes. really I glad you said either. that. So thank you, yeah. for, <laughs> thank you for sharing for sharing that. Uh, <laughs> so just one last follow-up question on that. Since you brought up that they're not agents that cause nephrotoxicity, but cascading have a negative effect in people with chronic kidney disease. I one drug that I run into all the time uses a prophylactic agent is nitrofurantoin in the elderly, and even if they have chronic kidney disease, I bring it up and I. Like in assisted living facilities, nothing ever happens when I bring it up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge problem, but that's a topic for another day. But I see this agent used all the time, mm-hmm. and it can cause lung toxicity and, and decline. So what are your thoughts on nitrofurantoin? If you don't have any, that's totally fine. I don't it's have a, a lot of... Right, right. I don't have a lot of thoughts on nitrofurantoin because I haven't... Um, I don't do a lot of managing, you know, things right. like UTI. I try to stay away from antibiotics. Mm-hmm. I really do. (laughs) So I don't have a lot of thoughts on it because it's not one of those sort of chronic medications that you see all the time, right? But certainly antibiotics. I think as geriatric farms, we're very aware of those episodic uses of antibiotics. So usually we are all over that. Mm -hmm. So although I don't see it all the time, I don't often bring that up in a presentation because I know that's something that we, you know, will always make sure to evaluate. I don't even mention antibiotics because, you know, you're always always on alert for those. And I think it's one that's familiar to most geriatric pharmacists, but that is a really good point. I never, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that one as we as we yeah. prepared this discussion. But I think things like antibiotics, you know, we're we're sort of all over that, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was awesome to have you guys on the mm-hmm. show and to talk about this stuff. And I really 
appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Sharon. Thanks for having All us. Right. Yeah. It's a pleasure. You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.